Good morning. My name is Chris Pate, if you're new with us, I'm the lead pastor here, and it's been a few weeks because we've had the awesome privilege in our church of having a pastor, I almost called you doctor, I think that's prophetic, uh, executive pastor, G. Yoon, preached a couple messages, and then of course last week, one of our elders, Eric Stevens, preached a message. Can we just give them a hand, say thank you so much. You know... I say it a lot, and I, I preach the majority of the time. So some of you, if you're new, you're like, I've never heard you preach. I do preach a lot, I promise. Uh, but we do value diversity in our church as well. And not just in form, but in practice for us, in the sense of different people have different styles, different ways to present, and different people hear and learn differently. So we love that we get the opportunity to hear from our elder, uh, executive pastor, from Casey, my wife, who does a great job, and others uh, like Earl and others that we get to bring up to preach reach here and minister the word of God. I hope no matter what your preference and style is, that you're always encouraged and led to leave this place more on mission and intimate with Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we want to be about. So we are in a Genesis series. This is week nine. We're doing a total of, I believe, 13 weeks. So we have a little bit left, but we've gone all the way through Genesis starting Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 3, the fall of man. We see continued fall and depravity. Even into Genesis 6, we've talked about all the way to the flood. We've got the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And then the past few weeks, because a lot of the chapters in Genesis, at least at the beginning, are talking about this man named Abram, who God later changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations. And so, We've been talking a lot about this character, and we've been highlighting certain things about his faith and who he is and the things that he's done. And we're going to continue to do that today as we dive into Genesis chapter 18. But more than anything, more than what we want to see in the characters of the Bible, is we can relate to them not just because they're heroes, but because they're fallible like us. They fall. They are not perfect. And sometimes we can have this idea of like Abraham and all these characters, like they float four feet above the ground and they're just heroes and people that we look up to. But I'm telling you, they are very flawed. And the point of the Bible is not just to point to some of these characters, although we can extract some things. Ultimately, it shows you the grace, the faithfulness, the power, the promises of God. And that's what we want to see, especially by the end of the message today. But let's talk about Abraham. And since I'm a preacher, I've been doing this a while. I'm going to give you some alliteration. You like this, Melissa. You like a little alliteration. Here you go. So we're going to start in Genesis 12, where we're first introduced to Abraham. Actually, if you want to be technical, the end of Genesis 11, we are. But God calls, we're going to use the C, called. He is called to God and ultimately has a calling to leave where he was. He was 75 years old, to leave where he was, his country, and God tells him in Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Don't you love how vague God is? He's like, just go. Oh, well, where? Just, just go. Uh, and sometimes we do, we need to leave everything behind us, things we can extrapolate from Abraham's faith. We need to leave the old things behind us. In fact, Jesus says, you're not fit for the kingdom if you are plowing a field and you keep looking back. 
Okay? We've got to look forward. We've got to go forward. And, and he, at an old age, left everything, his kindred, his family, his bloodline, his money, his wealth, everything, and took off, which is why he's called the father of faith. And he obeyed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We see verse 2 continue. He said, God promises him this thing. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. If God came to you and said that, you'd be like, all right, I'll do it. Let's go. I don't want to just live and die. I want to have some remnants left over of my life to make a, make a matter in this world, to make a purpose in this world beyond my death. And this is intriguing to him. And God comes to him in this form and says, I'm going to create a new family, a new nation through you, but not just a nation that is just going to be at war, but it's going to bless all other nations. And he says in verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you of a curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram is called out. And typically, if you want to go somewhere you've never been, you got to do some things you've never done, right? So Abraham stepped out and trusted God. Now, God makes specific vows or promises that are stronger in language, stronger in intimacy, and stronger in meaning. So God made a promise to Abraham, but a promise is not as strong as a prophecy, and a prophecy is not as strong as a covenant, and a covenant is not as strong as an oath. And so there's these different levels. When it comes to promises, a lot of them are contingent on us. There is a condition to that promise. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you don't do this, then I won't do this. So don't put everything, anytime God has spoken something in your heart or seen something, that it's an oath, it's just gonna come to pass. Sometimes it's conditional. And if Abraham wouldn't have obeyed and left, he would not, we would not be talking about him today. God would have had to pass by and get someone else because this was a promise. But it built into an ultimate oath as he continued to show his faithfulness to God. Genesis 13, we see Abraham and he concedes land to Lot. As Pastor G spoke, they had the opportunity as they were growing, the land was getting too much with all of their cattle and all their people that they had to go separate ways. And Abraham said, hey, I trust God. He's brought me this far. You get to choose first. He concedes the choice to Lot and Lot chooses um, unwisely. You have chosen unwisely. Um, then we see in Genesis 14, Lot goes down and he is uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah territory. And then we see in Genesis 14 that Abraham now has to come and conquer Lot's enemies because they raided his camp after a big war and took him and all his possessions. Abraham hears about it and says, oh, no, you didn't. And he goes after him. It says with 318 of Abraham's servants that, were, that understood war, they were trained. So we see from Abraham, he has expanded. He has a lot of cattle. He has a lot of sheep. He has continued to grow. He has a lot of men and warriors and servants and people with him. So you have to picture that as he's traveling. He goes and he conquers and brings not only Lot, but all of his possessions back. Genesis 15, then we see God makes covenant with 
Abraham. And this is one of the most important chapters in Genesis chapter 15. Because when you make a covenant with someone and they would do a blood covenant, it's called cutting covenant, they would cut an animal in half or multiple animals in half and there would be this pathway of blood in the middle and animal carcass on this side, animal carcass on this side. It sounds really gross, but again, it's stronger than just a promise. We're getting into covenant territory where one party would walk on the, uh, in the blood and the other party would meet them in the blood. This is actually why in our wedding ceremonies today, we typically have a red carpet going in the middle because it is significant of a blood covenant. And what they do is they think, thankfully, we don't have to kill anything like that nowadays and walk in that. But it's the strongest kind of covenant that you're saying, not only uh, if I don't uphold my portion of the covenant, you can do what we did to these animals to me. You can kill me. This is a very strong covenant. And God does this. He says, Abraham, okay, it's time. We're going covenant route. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you all my promises. He says, start getting the animals together. And they start doing that. And then you know David's, or Abraham, excuse me, is kind of scared because he knows if he steps out on that path, he has to, and all of his seed has to obey God and be with him forever. But God tells him it's not going to happen, puts him in a deep sleep like he did to Adam before he brought Eve out. And all of a sudden, you get this weird picture in Genesis 15 of this covenant, but you see two torches and like this invisible person walking through the covenant saying, I will do it. This becomes an oath of God and God pronounced himself to die when Abraham and his descendants don't obey. This was Jesus' ultimate death, having to die and sacrifice for the sins of the people. Okay, You see this already in the covenant in Genesis 15. Then Genesis 16, you have compromises. Abraham knows, okay, I've got to have this. I'm going to have this nation. I don't have a son with Sarah, so what am I going to do? Sarah says, I'm old. Let's, let's get our, our, our servant here. And he has sex with Hagar, and they create Ishmael. But the problem is that wasn't the route God wanted him. And how many times have we done this? God gives us a promise, and then we try to make it happen ourselves. This is what Abraham does. God called me. It's God. And so you try to manufacture what only God can do. Because typically God's timing is not ours. And we compromise. And we see this compromise happen, even though God is so gracious with Hagar and with Ishmael, as we've seen. Genesis 17 is circumcision. God takes it to another level and says, I'm going to literally cut covenant with you. And I'm not going to go into what circumcision is. Hopefully you know. Um, But imagine, it says Abraham was 99 years old when God said, hey, bro, uh, come here. I've got to talk. Um, And people say, well, why circumcision? There's several reasons, but I I believe one of the main reasons is God's plan to bring the Messiah into the world through the seed of man and woman started in Genesis 3 when they fell. He immediately said, I've got a seed that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent, even though he's going to bite his heel. We know this is Jesus, but God has to get this seed through a family, through some kind of lineage. And so one of the biggest signs of the seed is the cutting away in circumcision and a constant reminder that your seed is going to produce the Messiah one day. It is a, I mean, God is really serious about reminding people about what he's trying to do in this earth, in this world. So you have circumcision. Not only did he at 99 get circumcised, 
He circumcised all the males. So imagine, aren't you glad we don't have to do this anymore? Praise the Lord. Like, hey, uh, church membership, so do I like commit to uh, serve or, no, come here, line up, line up, uh, hold on, hold on. You know, like, I mean, this is serious, guys. This is one reason it's interesting, interestingly enough, when the church came in and said, Jesus is now the circumcision, the seed is here, so we don't have to have that sign anymore. So many people started converted to Christianity. It's a big reason because they're like, oh, I like Judaism, but I ain't about to do that. And I like pigs. I want to eat bacon, right? So it's like, wow, there was some good things there. Okay, you're welcome. That's for free. Okay, no more foreskins. Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Some of you are offended because you've got a religious spirit, but then you go home and watch crazy Netflix stuff. Okay, let's, let's just, let's be real. Let's be real. This is second service, so I, I say what I want. Okay, Genesis 18. We're going to get it, Genesis 18. And the C for, for this is the promise of God is comical. It's comical how crazy and absurd and miraculous it is that God brings his promise. We're going to read all the way through all the scripture for today. And then we're going to come back and study what God wants to tell us. Let's check this out. Verse 1 in chapter 18. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Then he saw them. He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, am, after I am a worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Let's look at Genesis 21 and the promise. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him Isaac. 
And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that is living, that is active, and that it points ultimately to you, to your Savior, so that we can grow in intimacy, trust, and God, see the miraculous works of our awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 18, let's start back from the beginning and see what the Lord wants to teach us. Number one, verse one. And the Lord appeared to him. Now we gotta stop here because anytime in your English Bible, um, because it's, it's translated from Hebrew, um, in your English Bible, it has capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's actually the reverent name for God, Yahweh. Now, sometimes it will have capital L and then just lowercase O-R-D. That is Adonai or another word for Lord, which could mean not just God or the name of God, but ultimately could be any kind of patriarch or somebody that has some kind of power, a Lord, okay, or even a father figure. But this is already telling us, and this is what the translators are trying to tell you, this is Yahweh appearing, okay? It says, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. We know something about heat. You know, right now, Houston is record, setting record heat ever. So if you just moved here, uh, God bless you. You're welcome. We've cranked up the AC. I'm sweating like T.D. Jakes up here right now, but <laughs> the heat of the day, we get the heat of the day. We get it. And imagine, I mean, the heat of the day. This is like midday, noon, two, three. It's exhausting, okay? And he is in a tent. Let me give you a picture. Um, uh, and, and again, obviously, I don't have a first century, or excuse me, a thousand, 3,000 year old t- picture here, but this is an idea of what the tent would be. But imagine this on a much bigger scale because Abraham had, we know, 318 uh, armed men able to fight, much less more. So hundreds of people. So imagine multiple tents all around this area. And this area is called. Uh, Mamre, Mamre uh, is, comes from an Amorite, from a person that Abraham ultimately got to know. But this is where later he will find a cave n- next to this place and he will bury Sarah and a lot of the patriarchs are buried. This is a very significant place because this is where God cut covenant with him, Genesis 13, 15, where God would speak to him. So where God speaks, he set up camp. He didn't want to leave in case God continues to speak, especially until the promise comes. And that teaches us a lot about staying in the promise, prospering where you're planted if God has given you a promise and not shifting and moving all the time. A plant that stays in the soil has the potential to prosper more than continuing to transfer constantly because you're trying to find the next thing or the next move of God and God's saying, no, I've got something for you here. Uh, some of the, the history, the tents, these tents were uh, nomadic tents, originally pointed tents. Even today, you see Bedouin tents you can see when we go to Israel. Um, they look more like a portable house. 
Um, they're supported by at least three vertical poles anchored by what's called guy ropes. It's interesting because they have divided sections in them, so they're not just open, but they would have like veiled different sections similar to the temple where you've got the outer courts, inner courts, holy of holies, and then with that, there's areas that get you deeper into holiness or intimacy. A tent would have the same thing, so you'd have kind of the open, think of like a living room, then you have a tent dividing like the kitchen, and the women and different servants would work, and then you would have like the place where they would sleep, and a lot of times the women were kept aside from the men, okay, and this is important to understand so we get the context of what is happening here. Um, Typically, uh, they would have both the front and the back of these tents. They could be rolled up in the heat of the summer. Um, in this way, it allows wind to blow through. I, I, I work out at my garage, thanks to G. He's like, dude, you got to get a garage gym. I was like, okay, cool. And so I did it, and I work out at my garage, and I'm fine, even though it's humid, as long as I have air blowing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I don't have air, Casey knows, my wife knows. She's like, it, it, we could be like here, and there's no blowing air, and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to throw up right now. I'm struggling. And so imagine the heat of the day in Israel. They would have to allow the wind to blow through. And they're relaxing. They're taking a siesta during this time and they're just chilling and Abraham's got his guacamole. It's an awesome time, but he's not out serving. He's not out doing anything because it's hot. The cloth woven from the hair of goats would expand when it rains so that the roof would remain completely waterproof. They're not dumb people. They knew how to create a tent, but they would have to have it and move from place to place. But he camped in this place. This is important to know. Verse two, check this out. He lifted up his eyes, so he's relaxing, trying to get out of the sun, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, notice this is not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I believe, many theologians believe, he didn't know it was God yet. Because they were a nomadic people. Like they would have foreigners come in and people come in. Oh Lord, if I had found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He's saying, hey, stick around. We're glad that you're here. They, they enjoyed having company and having hospitality. Now, this is interesting because I grew up in the 80s. I was actually born in 1980. So do the math. You know how old I am. Okay, so in the 80s, um, it was a different climate, right? We didn't have texting. We didn't have all those kind of things. And so at, at night, or even during the day, we had to keep our house clean because you never knew if someone was going to come by, ring the doorbell, and you would have to welcome them in. You would have to be ready. Like, I'd be watching Fresh Prince, and then all of a sudden, somebody rings the doorbell, and, and we're, we're all running the door. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Because it was exciting to have people come over. It was like, oh my gosh, maybe it's a pastor call, or maybe it was a friend, or maybe it's a family member that just stopped by to bring some cake or something, and you're just like, ready. Now, my mom was crazy. You can quote me on that. My mom was crazy, okay? Quote, uh, her name is Annette. Okay. Um, she was crazy. So we would have a room that you're not allowed to go into. This is how crazy she was, right? You, you, any of y'all have those rooms? You're not, it's like a formal dining room, but it has a couch with like plastic on it. You're not allowed to go in it, right? So, I mean, this is, we had like the white glove check. You need to make sure everything's clean because you never knew if somebody's gonna come over. And if somebody come over, we're all excited. This is cool. This, this changes everything. This is cool. Today, I'll talk about yesterday, um, Saturday at my house, 
I'm studying, we're doing some stuff, and all of a sudden the door rings, and the ring doorbell, and of course, I'm not going to go answer the door. I go to my app and like, who is this? And, and I mean, like I said, the pates aren't athletes, but we turn into ninjas when the door rings, right? Because it's like, hide, right? And this is where I want a cat, because my dog just barks and freaks out. So we're like, shut up, shut up. Everybody, you know, you're like hiding. Don't come in. Because I'm noticing this person is a salesperson. Now, if it was a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, come in. Let's talk about the Bible. I love it. That's fun. But I don't really want whatever you're selling right now, right? And in fact, maybe if it was a friend, I would answer the door, but I would be a little offended. Why don't you text me first, bro? Because as we're freaking out, shoving stuff in closets and like getting ready and like, ah, right? We're like the Von Trapp family ready to sing to you because we're all ready to go. In our day and age, we are not ready for guests. We are not ready for neighbors. So we could pass right by this scripture. But what you need to see that's so beautiful about Abraham is not only was he ready, not only was he accepting but he was extremely hospitable, which is very normal for that culture, even Bedouins today. You'll never see so much hospitality. And here's one of the reasons why I believe Abraham was so hospitable, not only because it was a cultural thing, but it was a cultural thing because he knew what it was like to leave his home, to leave everything he knew and be a foreigner himself, be a stranger, and have to rely on the kindness of others to welcome him in. And he never forgot it. He never got to a point of entitlement. He never got to a point of, well, I'm just not interested in those people anymore, because he knew where he came from. He remembered what God has done, and it brings this sympathy, this empathy, this compassion into your life in order to be super hospitable. But here's the awesome part, too. When you are physically hospitable to your neighbor, to a a foreigner, to someone you don't know, maybe even just being nice and aware and welcoming of people when you're getting your groceries, if you even go to a store anymore, and talk to the clerk, give them a name, thank them, not I'm bothered by you. This hospitality, it opens up not only physical doors, but spiritual doors, as we will see. Look at his hospitality in the next few verses. He says, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the trees. Like, I'm sure you're exhausted because I know what it's like out there in the sun. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. They said, okay, thank you. We feel welcome. Go for it. We will stay. Opened a physical but a spiritual door because I believe he didn't even know this was God yet. And that is so accurate to scripture, isn't it? When Jesus resurrects, he's walking down this road called Emmaus and the disciples didn't even recognize him. When he actually was at the tomb, one of the disciples thought he was a gardener. How many times is God right in front of us and we miss it or dismiss it even worse? Because we're not paying attention. We're not holding on to the promise. We forgot where we've come from. We're not hospitable and greeting and welcoming and watch, even serving. He goes to Abraham and went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three seas of fine flour needed and make cakes. Imagine Sarah's like, what's going on? 
I think she probably knew what was happening because she's going, oh, this is, this is who we are. This is what we do. We open our homes. We open our lives. We serve. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf and prepared it quickly. So he's not just sending everyone, y'all serve. He is actively serving. He is showing humility and hospitality. And I believe all of these are part of tests in order to see the promise of God come out. You know, God doesn't just test you in the big things. Most of the time, it's the little things he tests you in to slowly build strength for when the promise comes, you can handle it. You see him growing in this. It says, then he took curds and milk and the calf that he prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking, how can I bless these people? Now notice, I think this is where it starts to turn. He realizes, oh, this is God who's been talking to me. Verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she is in the tent. Now, as I said, typically women would be behind a veil in the open tent, but there would be sections. So they'd be behind, so they wouldn't have seen her up to this point. They're serving, they're getting ready. And typically, even in that culture, you see it today in a lot of Eastern cultures where the women are, are hidden because they don't want to show them. There's a sense of reverence. She's in the tent. They haven't seen him. So ver notice verse 10, the Lord said, and notice here it says, the Lord, Yahweh, I think this is where he's like, first of all, he heard the name Sarah. Second of all, he recognizes who they are. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now notice this, it says, and Sarah was listening at the tent door. They don't see her, there's a veil. She's just listening, hearing behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years, the way of women what is that, Casey? The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. I like this. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, notice it's to herself. She's behind a veil. It's to herself. We know these are divine beings at this point because they're not seeing her, but we hear that they see her heart and they hear the thoughts and intentions of her heart. And she says to herself, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, let's pause for a second and think about Abraham and Sarah, okay? Abraham is the one that God came to, said, leave everything, and he brought Sarah with him. We don't see up to this point a place where Sarah has heard from God or Sarah has had a physical manifestation of God coming to her in an angel or anything. It's all been Abraham. So ladies, imagine your husband comes home. He's 75. He's like, girl, I'm getting rid of everything. It's time. We're leaving. God told me. Oh, okay. God told you. Okay. Psycho. Let's go. And they go. And then he comes home one day. He says, hey, uh, this crazy thing happened. And God told me to circumcise myself and all the dudes. And she's like, okay. Um, cuckoo, right? What's wrong with this guy? She's never had an experience with God. And here's the beautiful thing. God comes to Abraham and speaks mightily. Look at the stars. Look at the sand. He cuts covenant. He puts him in a deep sleep. He has all of these dramatic episodes. 
And then when God comes, not for Abraham, but for Sarah in this moment, he comes more gentle. He comes physically, even hiding himself for acceptance. And the beautiful thing about this is God loves to meet you individually where you are. God knows what you need to hear, how you need to be presented the gospel, how you need to be presented a relationship with God, how you need to hear his promises. And this is the first time she's heard of this outside of Abraham in private conversations with this God. Now, she laughs because she's a little cynical. And there's different kind of laughs. There's a cynical laugh, right? There's hopelessness laugh. And then there's hopeful laughter. I I imagine she's, (laughs) after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? What's interesting about this word pleasure is it means joy. It comes from like an Eden type understanding. But also, you see in Hebrew, the same word can mean sexual pleasure. Now, I'm not trying to be crass, but I'm trying to open up something that I think was happening as we look at these people like real people. She's in her 90s. He's 99. She's not only going, okay, I've heard this. This sounds miraculous. Okay, but seriously, look, I'm worn out. I don't have anything to offer. In fact, a woman, not only of her age, but the fact that she's been barren her whole life would be despised in that culture. Because the fruit of your womb, the evidence of the more kids, the more value you've brought to the earth, to the world, she feels so low to the point, remember earlier, she's like, take my servant. And she says, we're not even that intimate anymore, me and Abraham, we're old. And God says, I'm not just interested in fulfilling a promise You know, many of us have things that we wish God would do, or I believe for this, or I believe for that. And God's not interested in just getting you to that point. He is holistically saving everything about you along the way. He's not just interested in having a child, a baby, in order to have the promise, but he also comes and says, I'm interested in the intimacy of your marriage and the relationship of your marriage and restoring that to you, restoring her womanhood, restoring her stature, restoring her where she's been despised. And she's so cynical, she's like, there's no way it can happen. Of course, we see, as we're wrapping up, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Other times this is asked in scripture, is anything too difficult for God? And we'd say, nothing's too difficult for you. Another word in Hebrew for hard there is wonderful. Read it like this. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I like that word because we look at life and circumstances, even ourself and our ability and the impossibility. Nothing can happen. Maybe you've gotten cold and cynical in your life and don't believe for God anymore, believe for your marriage or believe for your family or believe for your finances or believe that God could do anything in your life. And you kind of have that cynical laugh, cynical comic in you because you've been so beat down or you've been so frustrated. And and I love this. 
He says, is anything too wonderful? The problem with the cynicism and to get out of it is to be reminded of the wonder, the awe, the amazement of our God. Not to be so prophetic that we think we've got to figure it out. So what's going to come has always been. That is a self-fulfilled prophecy. But our God is so much bigger and higher and able as we are going to see. And we get to see the rest of the story. But they had to believe God can restore my marriage. God can bring intimacy. God can do something that we've been waiting 25 years for. God can restore my dignity. God can do it. And she had to go, I've lost my wonder. I've lost my awe. I've let the world beat cynicism into me so much that I think it's all about me. You know, I can tell the difference between a nominal Christian, which means somebody that just claims to be a Christian by name, and someone who really is a believer. By simply asking them, like, hey, tell me about how you came to Christ. And if they say, well, I went to church and I found God and, you know, there's no sense of wonder. There's no sense of amazement. But when I talk to somebody and they almost have this hopeful comic in their laugh, like, dude, it's crazy that God would save me. He came and found me. Like, I'm, I'm messed up. Like, I know where I've come from. And he called me. He got me. And that wonder of how God first called us is not something that we just have and then we get rid of, but we continue to feed to say, what more wonders can you do? If you can save me, how could you not do this promise or fulfill this idea or make this happen? How do I push you down so much? Well, I've lost the wonder of God. Is there anything too wonderful for God? Go to Genesis 21, and we see in verse 1 that just as God promised, not in their timing, God's never in your timing, but just as he promised, and what he said a year later, she bore him a son. She named him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. Verse 6, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. She went from a hopeless laughter, cynical, to a hopeful look. And she says, everyone who hears will laugh, not at me, although that would be a side, over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? There's a different comical response, a different laugh when you see and trust in God. And let me tell you, she had to trust in God to be intimate with God or intimate with Abraham again in order to conceive. She had to believe that their marriage could be restored, that she could be restored. She had to trust the word of God and act on it. And out of that, she had a different kind of laughter, a giddy laughter of hope. Look at what God has done. I mean, this is where like in our church, you'll have like somebody believing for something and a miracle happens and there's just this giddiness. And then if, if you're not careful, that same miracle hasn't happened to you yet. That same promise hasn't come yet. And you can look at that person and despise them. Huh, 
well, God doesn't love me that way. Versus, see, scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So we have our moments where it's hard and you don't boast and look at what God did. He did it because I'm so great. But you say, he is so great. He is so wondrous. And if he did it for me, a wretch like me, he can do it for you. Don't lose hope. He's faithful. He's wondrous. I love the names Isaiah calls God. Wonderful counsel. Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Don't get so old and comfortable in your thinking. You forget the wonder of God. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask for you to restore the joy and wonder of who you are. Lord, everybody in here has a promise, has something that you've laid on their heart. The ultimate oath and promise that you gave us is your son. As we believe, God, we get to not only spend eternity with you one day, but right now continue in a relationship in all of you. And with that, many people today have things that you've placed in their heart for business, for education, for a family, for husband or a wife, for a family member, for reconciliation. Lord, things that you have promised them to come about, Lord, I pray that you restore wonder to their heart. Lord, in this moment, restore faith. And as we sing and worship, God, that you receive glory and faith rises.